Good morning, everyone. I have a rather unbelievable story, and you are the star of it. So there you sit in your living room one day when the doorbell rings, and you get up to answer the door rather unsuspectingly. The President of the United States is standing on your front porch, flanked by two people with clipboards, headsets, and sunglasses. And when you open the door, he says, Oh, good, you're home. I was so afraid you weren't going to be here. I'd have such a tight flight today. But I said, you got to take me by there because I want to invite you over for dinner tomorrow. Can you come? You say, oh, you know, I have work. Or I have school. He goes, oh, yeah. He turns to the person next to him and goes, go, go make that go away. Do, do what you do. I don't know how they do it, but it'll be gone. You're taken care of. Oh, you say, well, I also had some family stuff to take. Oh, you say, I heard a little bit about that. You, what we talked about. Okay, so you're free, so uh, I've got to go, but I'm going to send a driver around to pick you up tomorrow morning. Be ready, be packed. Okay. So next morning, uh, there he is. Or there, there, there the driver is. You know, you're on the front porch with your bag, and here comes the chauffeur in a stretched limousine. It's police escorted, two motorcycles in front, two motorcycles behind. And when it pulls up to your house, the chauffeur jumps out and he says, Oh, hi. Oh, I'm so glad the arrangement's all worked out. He has been planning this for months. He opens the door. You get into the limousine. He takes your bag, puts it in the trunk, and then he rolls down the little window between when he gets in the drive and he puts back a DVD. I heard this one was your favorite. Oh, what do you know? Star Wars, episode five. All right. So, or whatever yours is. Sorry, I just made an assumption for you, assuming you had taste. All right. So you, you, uh, you, know, you take your DVD, whatever it is, and you put it in. and You, walk. you don't even have a hardly time to get to the, to the opening part because you're already at the private airstrip. And there's a Learjet parked on the tarmac. The stairs are already down. And as you walk up, the pilot says, I'm so glad to meet you. He's been so excited about this. You wouldn't believe all the senators I had to dump off the schedule today to get you there on time. So up the stairs you go. When you get there, there's a little private stewardess just for the jet. She comes out. She has your favorite drink on a tray. She goes, I think I got it just right. I, it was crackling as we flew in, and the person who normally makes this for you down at the shop, I couldn't quite hear what they said. I hope it's right. You take off. You land on the East Coast somewhere on a private airstrip, and as you get off the jet, there is a military helicopter. There's a young officer standing at the base. You wave high. He just snaps to a salute, totally stone-faced. This is a mission. You're not going to get any response. So you get on the helicopter, and off you go. <laughs> and then you see the Washington Monument, the Capitol Dome, Pennsylvania Avenue, the White House. You land on the back lawn of the White House. And as soon as you touch down, they take you out, and the French doors on the back of the White House fly open, and out comes the president. He says, oh, you're just in time. What took you guys so long? Sorry, sir. He's got an apron on. He says, it's okay. I'm a little behind on dinner as it is. So just come in, sit down. I'll put a few things out for you while I finish up. You go into the White House. You sit down at a table where world leaders have sat. Wondering what's going on as a president busts in and out, in and out of these swinging doors, putting out the forks, putting out the, putting out the silverware wrapped in a little napkin with a gold thing and an eagle stamped on it. And then he finally comes out, mopping sweat off his forehead, and he's got a big tray, and he sits it down, says, I made this myself. Heard it was your favorite. Takes the lid off. It's your favorite dish from childhood. 
He says, I, I hope I got it right. Your poor mother, I've been on the phone with her three times this morning trying to get this thing made right. Hey, take a bite and it's pretty near perfect. So there you sit, eating with the president. He asks you what's been going on and what you've been up to. And, and then when you finally get done, he says, okay, are you ready for the tour of the White House? So he takes you to all the rooms where all the historic decisions have been made. Here's where Truman walked. Here's where, you know, and he takes you through. And then he, and then he goes, oh, no, I don't take anybody on this one. The little secret wall opens up. You go down six floors to the room that technically doesn't exist. He waves everybody off. You don't need any security clearance. This is, and then he says your name. And everyone goes, oh, welcome. He shows you the monitors where they're watching all kinds of stuff you didn't know they were watching. You mess with a couple people. And then you get back on the elevator and up you go. And then the day's about over. He says, what would you like for breakfast in the morning? Well, how about waffles and strawberry? He goes, done. And I've already made up the Lincoln Room. It's okay, the Lincoln Room, right? Most people kind of want to stay in the Lincoln Room. You say, oh, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> so up to the Lincoln Room you go. You move up the little two wooden steps it takes to get into that high of a bed. And you lay there and there's no way you're falling asleep. <laughs> What has just happened? And about 20 minutes later, there's a little phone beside the bed. Do you answer the phone in the guest room in the White House? Finally, on the 11th ring, you pick up. Oh, good, I'm so glad you picked up. I wasn't sure if you would, says the president. He says, oh, I'll be honest, you threw me with the strawberry thing. So I'm down here at the grocery store. And I'm looking at this stuff, and uh, do you want fresh strawberries sliced on there, or do you want the frozen ones mashed up? Oh, well, Mr. President, the fresh ones sliced up should be fine. Great. Okay, I'll have that ready for you in the morning. What are you feeling? What has just happened? Whatever you're feeling now, it's probably just getting close to what the disciples should have been feeling had they been able to understand what was going on in the upper room on the last night when Jesus with, was with them before the cross. Gospel of John chapter 13 says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He loved them to the very end. We're now 24 hours from the burial of Jesus. We've left the bustling streets of Jerusalem, and we're now in the upper room. Jesus' mission is now clear to him, but probably only to him. He has come from God, and now his time to return to God has come. Why does John start the story with that? Because the shadow of that cross in the evening light now reaches all the way to the upper room. The shadow of the cross is here. Whatever happens, John wants us to remember that that cross is happening tomorrow. Verse 2. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, some son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So John is preparing us. Some tragic events are about to unfold. The shadow of the cross is on this room this night. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. 
Whatever else is about to happen, he also wants us to know that Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus knows where he has come from and where he is going to. And in light of knowing that, this is what he does. So he got up from the table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet. You can bet the room is quiet now. This is a low-ranking slave job. People then, they walked around on, in sandals everywhere they went, in dusty streets, dirty roads. I'd like to think in a city that they had the public sanitation thing down, but I bet not. I bet wherever the animals went, there it lay. And whatever people dumped out of the pot in their house when they got lazy, you hope it stays in a little ditch beside the road. But And so people walk through all of that. And then they come into your house and somebody's got to get that off or they're going to track that everywhere. And so you had this, uh, the lowest ranking slave in your house, this was the job they got. Wash the feet of everyone who comes in this place. In ancient literature, there's no record of, of a foot washing that isn't done by a low-ranking slave, except for just these few exceptions. There are some ancient literature mentions of foot washing where a wife who, on a special day of the year, not all the time, who wants to make an extreme show of Father's Day devotion or something, will wash her husband's feet. There are a few examples where a student, in order to show their fierce devotion to their teacher and his teachings, would wash his feet. But there are no historical examples of a foot washing where a husband washed his wife's feet or a teacher washed his student's feet or a king washed his slave's feet. There are certainly none where the Son of God washed the feet of a person. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will, uh, someday you will. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means the shadow of the cross is on this room. Until you see that, you're not fully going to understand this. On the other hand, unless you see this, you're not really going to understand that. Peter doesn't get it. Verse uh, 8. No, Peter protested. You'll never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash your feet, you won't belong to me. And let, Peter doesn't get it, but if you can't accept this washing, if you can't accept that washing, you'll never be washed. Peter still doesn't get it. Because in verse 9 he says, Simon, he exclaims, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. If this is about getting the dirt off, scrub me up. Jesus replied, a person who's been bathed all over does not need to wash, except for their feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So this must not be so much about the washing and the dirt on the feet. 
as showing us something about God. Jesus is always showing us something about who God is. So we've got to slow down and put these puzzle pieces together. It's not about washing. It is about a picture of God, who God is. John keeps bringing up the betrayal. John keeps pointing us back to the cross, so we feel the shadow of the cross over this scene. What is the truth that's going to make all these puzzle pieces make sense together? Let's assume it's going to be something about that cross because that's where he started. That was the first line. We argue a lot about what happens on that cross in Christianity. Uh, some theologians in history have said God is looking for someone to punish for human sin to satisfy justice. So Jesus leaps in front of us to save us from God's wrath. But that picture doesn't really fit anything going on with this wash basin. Some other theologians have said, because of human sin, Satan, who rules the earth, is owed a debt for the crimes of humanity. So Jesus offers himself as a human sacrifice to satisfy what is owed to the devil. Scary. Not at all represented in the wash basin. Nothing Jesus showed them here would give them that understanding. Some theologians have said Jesus is showing us by example how to defeat evil. Evil is defeated when we sacrifice and we lower ourselves. Here is where you will defeat evil. Oh, now we're getting closer doesn't totally talk about why the disciples are clean and one is not clean, but we're getting closer. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing for you? No, good, please tell us. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Jesus is showing us in the upper room a picture of who God is. Jesus has come from the highest point in heaven, the highest point in the universe, and now he's come down to the lowest, the very lowest a foot-washing slave loves fullest extent, it says in the Greek. What began in heaven tonight comes down to human feet. And tomorrow goes to the cross and then goes to the grave. Jesus is saying, I want you tomorrow on that cross Although I'm lifted up, I want you to see the God who will do anything for you. The God who will go anywhere for you. I want you to see the God who would endure any suffering for you out of his great love and his desire to see you clean. Surely a love that powerful washes everyone. What could stop such a powerful love? But then we have verse 10. Jesus replied, A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for his feet. And he says, And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. 
For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. God's love is washing everyone, but only those who want to be washed. But only those who want to be washed. We have to remember in the upper room, Judas was there. Judas had seen the humble teacher. He had seen Jesus. He had heard all the sermons. Jesus heard, uh, Judas heard all of Jesus' sermons, not just the ones you and I have preserved in the Gospels. And in his heart, after seeing all that, Judas said, that is not the God I want. That is not the Savior I want. This is not the kingdom I want. We in the church have to stop our arrogance. I think we mean it to be nice. We think it's nice, but it's a form of arrogance that says to people, if you knew Jesus like I do, you'd let him wash you. I know you would. You just don't know him like I do. We have to stop the arrogance that says, oh, you know, I'm sure when you die, you'll get to like see him. And then when you see him, then, then you'll let him wash you. you. You'll follow him. I know you do the right thing. I know you will. You're smart like me. The simple fact is that there are people who know everything you know about Jesus. There are people who know more than you know about Jesus. And they actively choose something else. They say no. We have to realize Judas Iscariot knew more about Jesus than you and I will ever know. And he found it in his heart to say, no. So following Jesus is not about enough information. Following Jesus is about being willing to bend your knees to God all the way to a foot-washing slave. And there are some who will say, no. Jesus says now out of gratitude for this, what does he want us to do? He wants us to wash each other's feet. Now he wants us to imitate him. So we call this the Last Supper, but more accurately, this is Jesus, the beginning of his last words to his disciples. Uh, this is Jesus' discipleship course. This is the conclusion of it. Here we're going to learn some of the most important things he had to say about what it means to follow him. And lesson one this night is, as God came down for us, we must lower ourselves for others, just like our teacher did. No one is too good to serve anyone anymore. If the President of the United States wants to have you over the house and make you dinner, that all fits in the kingdom of God. This is how we truly love each other and love the world. So, foot washing services. Churches do these old foot washing services. Lakeland was going to do a foot washing service once, and then a freak snowstorm came in and snowed us out. So we took it from a sign of God not to, not to do those anymore. <laughs> That's not true. I don't know. We just never came up with the idea again, I guess. But, um, so I don't have anything against it. I know many of you have been a part of it. Many of you are pastors who have done that. Um, but there's a little seed in there we have to be careful with. 
a little seed in there, because when you do these foot washing services in church, who usually does the washing? The pastors and the elders. Which says, we're the teachers and we're the leaders. And now, look at this beautiful thing we're doing. There's a little seed there that wants you to say, look at our leaders. Gosh, we've seen them teach and, you know, run things. But now, look how they lower themselves. Look how humble they are. Look how just like Jesus did. You have to watch. There's, you've never met a fame hound until you've met a church pastor. And, uh, and only a pastor could think of a way to, like, do something humble in order to make you, like, adore us even more. So you have to be careful with that. The thing that made the foot washing work is it was so nastily common, so everyday to them that it kind of shocked everyone. Wait, you're going to do that? A, a better foot washing service for a church these days might be pastors and elders who stay after a church party unseen by anyone and wash the dishes. A children's ministry volunteer who stays after everyone is gone and gets out some little plastic thing and scrapes up the Play-Doh that the kids have ground into the cracks in the tile. A dad who gets up after dinner on a night when it's not his chore and cleans the kitchen. A grandparent who travels to visit the kids on Christmas one year instead of exerting so much pressure for the grandkids to come visit them. A daughter who listens to her elderly mom tell the same story for the hundredth time with the smile and excitement of having heard it for the first time. A better foot washing service these days might be a high school student who stays after class and helps put away the lab equipment. Or a high school teacher who goes out into the hall and helps a freshman open a stuck locker and writes him a pass to the next class. Maybe you could post-date it, slip them in an extra couple of minutes. The better foot washing service probably comes in the everyday. Verse 15, Jesus says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. What he means by that is, I am the son of God. You're, you're not greater than I am. And look, I wash feet. So, so can you. Verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So this is the season of Lent. We're gonna take, during this season, Jesus' discipleship course together. For the next six weeks or so, we're gonna stay right here in the upper room in John 13 and 14. And we're gonna hear what Jesus says in his last night with his disciples. And we're going to soak up these words and learn to follow this God who loves us so much he'll go anywhere for us. Now at this point, many of you have been through many Lenten seasons and you're champions and you know how to do it. But if you don't, if it's new to you or if you're getting kind of stale and you want a suggestion, I have a couple of ideas. I might recommend you give up something during Lent that takes you some time, maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes a night based on your stage of life. Maybe it's a TV show you always watch, fast from that, or half of that, or a news program you always watch, fast from that, radio, to and from work, if you're a person who plays video games every night, fast from that for 15 or 30 minutes a night during Lent, if you're, you know, sleeping in, <gasps> um, 
Lunch, you could do a food fast, fast from lunch during the days of Lent. But don't just, it's not an endurance test to show your devotion to God. Once you've fasted from that 15 or 30 minutes and it's now suddenly open, fill it. Fill it with something that brings you closer to God. Maybe you know what that is, but if you don't, I might suggest you fill it with scripture and fill it with the word of God. During this season of Lent, get real focused, like just Psalm 139, which Pastor Dan has been taking us through and will probably continue to, and John chapters 13 through 17, which I'm taking us through. And during that time, read those scriptures. Read them repeatedly. Read them slowly. Sometimes journal about them. Talk to God. Write a letter to God about what you read. Uh, Pray about them. Sometimes you might want to just hand copy it for a few days. Just read it and write it, read it and write it. Something happens when it goes in your eye and through your brain and out your hand again. If you're into memorizing scripture, try to memorize parts of it. To have it right here in the front of your mind. See where God brings it out during the day. Uh, get an audiobook version of it and listen to that to and from. Just set it to repeat. Get these last words of Jesus inside. You know you don't have to do that if that's not waving your flag. You don't have to do anything. But the season of Lent is a good time to clear aside some time to walk and move in our day differently and give God a chance to help us know, help us know who he is even better. Jesus gave his disciples a prayer. And uh, why don't we pray that together? It's the Lord's Prayer. We'll get that up for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Also on that night, not very long after this, Jesus had another picture. Everything about this night is a picture of who God is, and he took bread. And if our servers want to come forward and and reenact this, get that ready for us. He took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. See how the shadow of the cross is on this night? I'll do anything for you. I'll endure anything for you. This bread is my body. I break it and let it be broken for you. And then he said, this cup is my my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. I bring you home. I bring you home. You don't have to say yes to me, but say yes to me. You don't have to let me wash you and forgive you, but I do wash you and forgive you. Say yes. Say yes. So, When we participate in this, we come down and we tear off a piece of bread given for us and we dip it in the cup and the cupbearer says, the peace of the Lord be with you. The forgiveness of God be on you. And you can say, and also with you because the person holding that cup probably had just about a week as you did. And right after you dip it, you, you eat it. You take it into yourself. You receive the body and blood of the forgiveness and the grace and the washing of Christ. And you say yes. You make it a part of you. And you take it with you out as you begin to wash others' feet. So let us 
come down the center aisles if you want to participate in this and say yes. And then we go down the side aisles. We'll come back and we'll close and worship together. Let me pray and then we'll come forward when we're ready. Father, we thank you for all these pictures you're giving. How did we not see it before? You wash us. You feed us. You forgive us. Lord, we say yes today. We accept your body, your blood, your washing. We accept that we take it into ourselves. We pray by the power of the Spirit. You'd show us this week how to copy it how to give ourselves for others. It is the kingdom of God. We thank you you bring us into it. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Come forward when you're ready. Amen. Thank you all. Let's stand together and receive the benediction. Uh, This blessing is from the Celtic Book of Daily Prayer. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.